It's always very important that you have a pen with you because uh, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. And uh, you always want to listen on a retreat to two, two levels, uh, the level of ideas and then the level of a personal communication. So the level of ideas would be God loves you and isn't that beautiful and you understand that idea. But then on the level of personal communication, the Holy Spirit is going to particularize that universal teaching. God loves you and isn't that beautiful. He's going to particularize it to your particular context as Joe or Sam. And that's what you're listening for. You're not listening for ideas. Catholicism is very simple. It's always funny. People say, well, you know, you didn't say anything new. Well, of course not. There's nothing new. It's, It's Catholicism. There's nothing new to it. You didn't say anything new, but you affirmed. Okay, good. But that's not what you're supposed to be listening for. You're not listening for new ideas. You're listening for a truth that changes you personally. For you, Jim. Not universal ideas about Catholic theology or something like that. Truth that changes you. And then you write that down. And as we said this morning, that's what you're going to bring to your wife, to your spiritual director, and you're going to keep processing this. Because Jesus is urgently wanting you to exhibit new behavior. Because you're alive. He doesn't want you to stay the same. There's no such thing. In the spiritual life, you're either going forward or you're going backward. There's no coasting. There's no treading water. Forward, backward. That's it. Deeper or shallow. So you really want to listen to where Christ is saying, Jim, here's a behavior change you need. And you want to write that down. name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we thank you for faith. What a mysterious gift. May we guard it. May we treasure it. May we never take it for granted. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, on the last point, taking it for granted, I'm sure you know lots of friends of yours and relatives who have left the faith. It's pretty astounding when you think about it. It's very similar to a divorce. Uh, Katie and Ben are so happy on their wedding day, so happy. Everyone look at them. Look, model, beautiful, idealistic. And then something entered. And something stole their yes. On that wedding day, they said yes. And seven years, ten years, three years into it, they stopped guarding the yes. And they let it be stolen by something. And usually, it's some level of suffering that opens the door so that we allow 
an entity to steal our original yes to our wife. And that's what can happen with the faith, too. We're not guarding it. We're not protecting it. And something comes in. You know, the, the, the last decade or more of your life as Catholic, all this sex scandal stuff, something has come in. It's ripped the heart out of so many people. They've left the church. They've left the living God because human beings are sinful and stupid and self-centered. They've left the living God because what humans have done. Some suffering came into their heart and stole their yes to God. It's very tenuous. Kids that are raised in good Catholic families, a semester at Lincoln, boom, faith is gone. Tenuous, delicate. We can never take it for granted. Gee, Bob, why do you go to daily mass? What are you, some religious fanatic? No. A, I love God. And B, I know I'm perfectly equipped to one day not love God. So I'm trying to guard. It's like being taunted when you're at a bar and you want to go home to your wife. Ah, look at this mama's boy. Why don't you stay out and drink with us more? Got to run home to Susie? Yeah, I do. Because if I don't choose her, I won't. And I'll lose her. It's held very tenuously. So guard the faith. Protect the faith. Just being here today is a testament to the fact of how much you want to guard, protect the precious gift you've been given. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Protect that. So, we get screwed up. If you look at number one, page number one, yeah, as, a, as a human being, you want to be with, from, and for. As a human being, what's the definition of being human? What does it mean to be human? A human is someone who is with, right, for, and from. You want to be with God and your spouse if you're married. You want to be with God. What's at the core of what it means to be a human being? Relationship. You want to be from God and your spouse. Who are you? I'm a believer. I'm a husband. That's my identity. The relationship is my identity. And then you want to be for something. The mission. What you're sent to do. Father is for his children. Husband is for his wife. A believer is for the mystery of God. You want to be sent on something. A mission. You be with God and spouse. And notice how simple this is. And that's why Satan hates it, because he keeps attacking us at its simplicity and trying to complexify life. If you were just be with God and your spouse, and if you would just be for them, and out of the strength of being with and for them, 
if you would just come forth from them, your life would be incredibly simple. And you would be happy. But we have all sorts of entryways into these simple things that allows our lives to become complex. I don't want to be with God. I'm not worshiping anymore. I don't want to be with my wife. I don't want to talk to her anymore. She's a, she's a big talker. She's a battle axe. Get rid of her. I don't want to be with her. Other things are more interesting than her. Other things are more interesting than mass, than the word of God. I don't want to be with. And I don't want to be from God either. Shh. Keep it a secret. I don't, I don't tell anyone. And I don't want to be attached to this woman either. I don't want to be from marriage. I'm on my own. I'm my own man. I don't want to be from anyone. I am independent. And therefore, you're for nothing except yourself. And that's the very definition of complexity. Complexity is when you're self-involved. Simplicity is when you're in a relationship that sends you forth. Simplicity is when you're in relationship that sends you forth. Complexity is when you're self-involved. How did your life get so complex? Because you refused to be simple. And you thought, this is the great lie, you thought there was more. You thought there was more than baptism. You thought there was more than the wedding vows. And because you believed that lie, you complexified everything. And now you're trying to disentangle it. Because you couldn't be happy going deep. You had to see what was out there. You had to see what the more was. When everything was given and everything was in what was given, you didn't believe it. And so you became complex. What does it mean to be a human being? It means to be in relationship as your identity. And it means to be sent from that relationship to serve or to respond to the needs of others. That's it. And if you do those three things, we will canonize you. You'll have a stained glass window somewhere. That's it. That's all saints do. They stay in their lane. Now, as an American, that sounds awfully boring which of course is the only sin Americans believe exists, which it's not even a sin, but that's the thing we hate. Sounds awful boring to stay with one woman. Sounds awful boring to go deep and live in Lincoln. I want to be in Paris. Sounds awful boring to just ask people if they have needs and attend to them. And so this lie that life is exciting is satanic. Because then we keep trying to artificially fulfill that lie. And we keep looking for where the excitement or where the diversion or where the distractions are. Because we can't stand the fact that life is limited, finite, and maybe, yes, at times, mundane. 
mundane. It's just ordinary. We hate that. We hate the ordinary as a culture. And so we are always trying to entice others to believe there is a wonderland of excitement somewhere because we hate it. Even in the church when we celebrate, quote-unquote, ordinary time, it's a laugh to Americans. Why are you celebrating the very thing I hate? I hate ordinary life. I hate having a job nine to five, coming home to the same woman in the same house with the same bills and the same kids. I hate it. Why are you celebrating it? And this is the greatest conversion of all, is to convert to the planet Earth. That's where we live. The planet Earth. And to be finally make peace that you live on the planet Earth. And there are not explosions every day of fireworks and wonder. And the sooner we make peace with that, the more you'll look at your wife and say, she's not as ugly as I thought she was. Because that's all there is. That's all there is. Who's the most beautiful woman in the world? I can't tell you because I'm old. I'm a boomer. You wouldn't accept it. But you younger guys, who is the most beautiful woman in the world? The one I might say is a corpse already. I'm so old. But when you think of that most beautiful woman in the world and you look on the internet one day into a newspaper and you say, Bob Smith, who is married to the most beautiful woman in the world, put her name in there, left her for another woman. And you say to yourself, is he nuts? That's the weight of the culture of boredom. That even the most beautiful woman can appear to be someone who is only in a stream of choices and not the choice because we are tutored to think there is someone, something better next. And so poor God doesn't have a chance because God is probably the most subtle, ordinary presence we have ever experienced. And that's why so many people give up on him. In a half hour or so, a piece of bread will be exposed and you gentlemen will sit here in silence, hearing nothing, smelling nothing, touching nothing, talking to no one, almost mental illness to the person passing by in the hallway. What are those guys doing with that fancy gold object and that white thing in the middle? They're with God. Really? Where's all the rainbows and fireworks and explosions? 
Now this God is different. This God keeps driving those men deeper into the earth of ordinariness. That's where he seems to want them. But everyone keeps looking for another God. So they keep passing. And one of the beautiful things about our God is that if you stay with him long enough, you actually learn, you learn to recognize his subtle invitations to come closer. And you respond. But in order to get to that point, you have to suffer the ordinariness of being with him in the silence. Until the silence is filled with his presence and he moves in such a way that you recognize that's him. And you invite him more. Come in. Deeper. But it's subtle. That's why he loses so many people. Women are like God, too. So most normal wives, right, when they're feeling amorous, will hardly ever come to the dining room table completely naked. The kids might be upset. But if you live with this woman long enough, she and her very presence has tutored you in how to listen to her. So instead of the blatant starkness of her naked body at the dining room table, she came to the table this night with one extra button undone. And that was for you. Did you see it? She had a certain perfume on that only you knew. And if you're fat, dumb, and stupid, and looking for fireworks and excitement, instead of being with this beautiful creature that evening, you'll be watching the NFL because of your stupidity and your impatience and your block-headedness that you missed the invitation to glory. That's God. That's how God communicates. One button. Don't miss it. Or you'll die an American. And there's nothing salvific in being an American. You want to die a saint. Someone who goes deep, deep into the relationship, which of course is ordinary and will never be anything but. But your fidelity will open up to the splendor of eternal life. And yes, on occasion, some of us will receive the stigmata or will levitate while we pray, but the majority of us will not. And those few that levitate or receive the stigmata are only given as signs, sort of like Lazarus rising from the dead. There weren't a lot of people who have raised from the dead over the history of Christianity, just a couple. 
as signs that there's something more. But not everyone. Most people just live and die and stay dead. And most people just come into a church, say, I'm here, Jesus, share your heart, and never get the stigmata, and never levitate. But unbeknownst to you, are going deeper and deeper and deeper into the mystery of faith, into the mystery of what it means to be human, one who has a relationship that gives him an identity, which then sends him on mission. Simple. One of the things you may want to pray about this afternoon is, where have I become complex? And Jesus, how can I become simple again? Where has my life become complex? And this is very common in our culture. People go to psychiatrists out the yin-yang because they have complexified their lives. And then they leave the office and the psychologist sits there saying, how did that poor man ever let his life get so complex? And the poor man did it through his choices. And particularly the choice of being restless in the face of the ordinary. This is where the birth of complexity begins. When you are enveloped by the ordinary, just try and receive it even more deeply. When you say to your wife or your friend or you say to yourself, it's driving me crazy. I just got to get out of this place. Stay in the place longer. That's the only cure. Otherwise, we'll run for those artificial consolations that I spoke about the escapist roots into not freedom, but slavery. Slavery to the habits of escaping ordinary life. And they really complexify us. Stay where you are. When I was much, much younger in my adolescence, I trained dogs. And when you line up the puppies... And you put your hand out and they sit, sit, stay. Their hindquarters keep moving, even as they're sitting. Their tails are wiggling, their two back legs are moving. They don't want to sit. Stay. And you have to stay. That's what we need to hear when we're praying. Because your hindquarters are wiggling and you want out because nothing's happening. And remember that we are residents of an entertainment culture. Whether you've eschewed television for the last 10 or 20 years, you are still being affected by the desire to be entertained. That's our great contribution to Western culture. Americans entertain and are entertained. 
This is probably the greatest time in all of history to be an actor. I don't think there is such a thing anymore as an out-of-work actor. You see how many shows are on Netflix, Amazon, streaming channels? You, you could be an actor. I think I want to be an actor. They are begging for actors because the whole culture has been subsumed into entertainment. And then you come to poor Jesus and he doesn't dance and he doesn't tell jokes. He just sits here inert as gift. And we say, jazz it up a bit, Jesus. We're Americans. You're going to lose us. I'm losing interest in you, Jesus. How sad that we measure the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings against our puny, superficial standards of entertainment. Stay. Stay. Deeper. Stay with your vocation. Stay with Jesus. Simplicity equals happiness. If you look there on, on number two, there's paragraph number two. Well, number one says that we live our life in the sacramental. Each sacrament that we are in keeps drawing us deeper and deeper into Jesus's existence. See, this is the beautiful thing when we catch it. When we catch it, we realize this is what's happening in the sacramental life. I am finally full and sick and bored with myself. And I finally know the way out. If I participate in these sacraments, I am progressively ascending into the existence of sharing in the life of Christ. Yay. I'm finally done with myself. Because one of the great burdens of the fall is that we keep running into the self. And it's exhausting. And one of the beautiful things about this church, or excuse me, the sacrament, is that it's the fire escape from hell. The hell of being self-involved. And we are progressively ascending into sharing the life of another. The life of life itself. If you remember how excited you were when the beautiful thing that you now call your wife or your girlfriend said, yes, I think I will have that first lunch with you. And you were like, what? Me? You said yes to me? You are a goddess. I'll have lunch with you. Why did you get up so early the next morning and couldn't wait to take a shower when you never showered before and your mother and your father begged you to shower? And you said, what's the point? You never washed your clothes, your sheets, your bedding. You were an American dude annoyingly self-involved. Then she said, yes. And what awoke in you?
I am now involved in life. That's what the other brings. I am alive. Genesis. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Because that's our prison. And this sacrament, every time you participate in the Mass, you are being taken, you are ascending more and more into the life of another. That's where joy comes from. I'm finally rid of myself. Number two there, that little number two, we're called, in order to keep progressively ascending, we're called to battle the passions. And one of the ways we battle the passions, and it may not seem a direct way, but it is, and that is to contemplate the life of Christ. In other words, to become finally fascinated with someone other than yourself. The way out of the weight of self-interest is by contemplating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we do that through the Word of God. And if you don't like to read, then you do it by meditating on the crucifix. You have the book of the Word of God, and you have the book of the cross. And some saints said, you have the book of nature. They found God in nature. You can meditate on one or all three of those books, and you will be freed from the self. Because all three of those are leading you to gaze upon a beauty bigger and greater than you. And to gaze upon a beauty bigger and greater than you is salvation. And they lessen, the more we choose to commit ourselves to contemplation, the more the passions lessen. They don't have a hold on us as they used to. Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas both said, what you pay attention to, you become. What you pay attention to, you, you become. Right? The rest of the afternoon, you may want to think about, what do I pay attention to? What garners my deepest self-interest? Right? Can you imagine if that answer is me? I garner my deepest self-interest. And to see if that's true, and if it is true, you've just tasted hell. For to be that interested only in the self, that means you're becoming only the self. And that's what hell is. Oh, no, 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 it's my wife I'm most interested in. Are you? Good. It's God I'm most interested in. Good. Then you will become God. It's my wife I'm most interested in. Good. Then you will become what you said your vocation was to be. You will become a husband. Good. Something other than you. Oh, it's my children. Good. 
then you will say and become what you said you wanted to be, a father. Good. All of those are salvific roots out of hell. The entrapment of the self. Contemplation uh, means very simply to gaze upon that which is more beautiful than you and to have it fascinate you. And the important thing about contemplation, as you gaze upon that which is more beautiful than you, and to have it fascinate you, is because the more you do that, the more susceptible you become to that object that you're contemplating entering you. And you having relationship with it. I remember once when my, my son Liam was little boy, he was like three years old, wandered into the room I was sitting in and he was playing his Legos in front of me and I was reading the newspaper and I caught, a, I caught a glimpse of them from under the paper and I said, oh, okay, there he is, he's sitting there. And then all of a sudden, my seeing him, my looking at him, made this imperceptible turn into Beholding him. That's contemplation. When looking or seeing becomes beholding. What does that mean? Just what the word says. When what you're looking at, you begin to hold in your being. It, my son entered me that day. And I became his father. Another word would be falling in love. Falling in love is the end result of contemplation. What you behold, what you hold in your being, you love. What do you pay attention to? Right? And until we we're dead, we all have a chance to alter what we have been paying attention to. That's the mercy of God. Time. Time is the mercy of God. Since we're all still breathing, we can change what we have been paying attention to. And it will be difficult because we love what we pay attention to, whether it's inordinate or not. The great struggle today of men in pornography, the gaze Upon the perfect naked woman, the gaze. Upon the projection of fantasy, power, immediacy, gratification, now. It's deliriously addicting. And in its emptiness, it's intrinsically punishing. But the chemical reaction is so strong that that intrinsic punishment sometimes can be pushed away. Its superficiality and emptiness can be pushed away for the hit after hit after hit of the power and immediate gratification. What are you becoming when you look at pornography? When you pay attention to such superficiality, what are you becoming as a human being? What you pay attention to, 
you become. Whether it's junk food or junk food online, your nutritional level of health is in jeopardy because of what you're paying attention to. I remember one guy who was struggling with pornography in particular came for spiritual direction. And the minute he was aware that he was looking at the screen, he always felt guilty and he would quickly shut it off. And one time I said to him, don't shut it off. You went, you go there so much. Don't shut it off. Look at it. Look at that woman. And then start talking to Jesus while you're there. And he came back a month later or so and he said, it happened, it happened. And I said, what happened? He said, when I talked to Jesus, I heard Jesus say something to me. What was that? And Jesus said, whatever you're looking for here, I can give you more. See, that's the great human suffering is we get lost. Can't find our way out. What we paid attention to begins to own us. But Jesus breaks through. Whatever you're looking for here, I could give you more. That's God. What is the faith about? What is the faith about? Look at number four, little number four there, paragraph. The mystery of Christ is celebrated in the sacramental liturgies. Through these celebrations, the mystery of Christ takes up residence in our hearts. I don't want pornography in there. I don't want gluttony in there. I don't want anger in there. Because I'm paying attention to Christ, he will enter there now. How? Through the sacramental mysteries. Yeah, but I don't feel anything. And of course, this is the American cultural idol, is to feel something. You have to feel something. What's, what's people that you know say when they don't go to Mass anymore? I don't get anything out of it. In other words, the reduction again to worship, to entertainment. I don't get anything out of it. I have to feel anything. It's described somewhere, described somewhere here in the notes, but the most powerful image I can think of about to defeat this, uh, I call it bias, of wanting to be entertained and feel something is um, nutrition. You eat a good meal, and somehow, in your digestive system, that food is being broken down to tiny little molecules of nutrients that enter your bloodstream and keep you alive. Have you felt that since lunch? 
Have you felt the food breaking down into molecules, entering your bloodstream, and keeping you alive? I haven't. But it's happening. And think of that. The most important thing in your life, you don't feel. Your body being fed. You don't feel it. Body of Christ. Amen. I don't know, I just... Didn't levitate, didn't get the stigmata, no fireworks. Who says that the most important thing in eternal life, you have to feel? Believe, trust, have faith. You're changing. It's happening. You are growing closer to God, whether you feel it or not. Just be vulnerable to the actions of the sacrament. Through the mystery of Christ is celebrated in the sacramental liturgies. Through these celebrations, the mystery takes up residence in your heart. And that's so important because that's how you get out of death. Because life is in you. The only reason death is not the final word is because eternal life is in us. Blessed Dom Marmion said that the Eucharist was the seed of of immortality. Each time you're receiving the body of Christ, the seed of immortality is being given to you. In other words, the resurrection is happening now. It's happening now. You are either being raised from the dead before you're dead, or you will not be raised from the dead. You will have no life within you, said Jesus. Eat my body, drink my blood. Universally available through three things. A man, bread, and wine. Can you get any more accessible? Can you get any more generous? God, how do I receive eternal life? You need a priest, you need bread, and you need wine. Okay? Notice you never have to go anywhere apart from the place where you are. There are religions that say you have to go on pilgrimage. You could never leave the neighborhood you're born in and every day you could get up, go to daily mass, and come home and know that there are four blocks on the planet Earth and you could become a saint. How much more generous could God have been? 
to reach us, to give to us what we need to get out of the self. The objective, Christ's actions, become personal within the communal. What just happened to all of us at Mass? The objective, Jesus giving himself, becomes personal. Amen. I believe this among all the others. That's the church. In its simplicity, that's all the church is. The mystery is given and becomes personal. I love Jesus among all of the brothers. That's Catholic life. That's what's salvific. And then when the brothers have a need, because Christ is in you, and you are becoming Christ, and Christ is displacing your ego, when the brothers have a need, you will be Christ for them too. So in other words, that man will be surrounded by Christ in the sacraments and in his brothers. That's all it is in its simplicity. But there's a great struggle and a drama to block that because Satan hates what you're becoming. He hates the objective mystery of Jesus to become personalized in your body. He wants you to be filled with despair. He doesn't want you to know this hope. That's what he fights for day in and day out. And this is what Jesus fights for day in and day out. The opposite. And that's why St. Paul called it a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. If you struggle with your faith life, good. That means you're in it. Stay in the struggle. Stay in the battle. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we praise you, we bless you, we thank you. Help us to guard the faith that you have shared with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so if you wish, in a half hour, 3 p.m., you can come back. Jesus will be exposed. I suggest you bring your scripture with you or your spiritual reading. Again, bring your pens and paper, because as you're being in his presence, he will subtly raise truths in you. And you, you want to note the truths that he's raising. And remember, his voice is brief, deep, simple, and true. Haranguing, cyclical thinking, any type of negativity, it's never Jesus. Brief, deep, true, simple. And write that down. And again, Accumulate all of this for spiritual direction or your wife.